If there was a pill I could give you that would make you immortal, how much would you pay for it? Pastor Jonathan Fisk, author of The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Without Flesh. Because you see, that's exactly what we have. And it's priceless, but it's also free. So why is it that nobody's coming to our churches to get this immortality? I mean, we can say that it's all their fault, or maybe there's something about it that we've forgotten. Learn more and purchase Without Flesh at issuesetc.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. For the next 30 minutes of the program, we're going to be going through listener email, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. listener comment line, 618-223-8382. We like our listeners to have an opportunity to respond to something they hear, to question something they hear, to chime in and agree or disagree, to offer show suggestions as well. That's why we have both the comment line and that open email address for our listeners. I'm speaking with Anna. She writes, I'm a frequent on-demand listener who truly enjoys the plethora of worthwhile episodes available in the Issues Etc. archives. Thank you. However, I have a complaint to make about the photo displayed for last month's talk on the Super Bowl halftime show. The photo clearly chosen displays the promiscuous, disgusting behavior as seen at the show, behavior which I'm sure the podcast episodes speak strongly against. I do not believe this is an image Christians should see or share. I was certainly repulsed. I had purposely avoided watching the halftime show. My pastor even instructed our congregation not to watch it. And yet now I have an image in my mind. I kindly and sincerely ask you to remove or replace the photo for the sake of our witness to the world and for your fellow Christians. Thanks for the feedback, Anna. So uh, I'm the one who actually chooses the photos that go on on the website, they're, they're just called featured images. They're, they're just something that lies there next to the audio link to kind of attract your attention because the internet is a visual medium. And so photos have kind of become the standard there. I had to actually search fairly carefully to find a photo that was not as suggestive as most of them were. And I chose one that has, I'm looking at it right now, JLo and I believe it's Shakira. Please forgive me if my my pop culture sensibilities are weak. Uh, they're standing next to each other on the stage of the Super Bowl. They're, the, the reason I chose it, actually, is because there were children dancing in the background, which I think was kind of the the straw that broke the camel's back for many people who watched that halftime show. I did not watch a half, halftime show. And that they're standing on the stage and the adoring crowds are reaching out to them like they always do at, uh, in an event like this. And they're both dressed in a basically swimsuit attire, shiny swimsuit attire and very complicated shoes to use a George Costanza-ism. So I chose one that I thought was more modest than the others. I think in retrospect, what I should have done is probably just got a close-up picture on J-Lo's face in the outfit without showing this whole body and the, these kids dancing around behind. We're trying to try to tell a story in a glance with a picture and show people that what this thing is about. How many times have you misread a headline and you've misread it and you think it said something that it doesn't say because we don't read as well as we register things visually. So I'm, I have no problem taking the photo down. I don't believe it's overly suggestive, but if you know the context of what was going on there, then it's easy to put the pieces together. Well, the, the legs are kind of spread open. 
So yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes you do that when you dance, but uh, you can't dance with your legs together very yeah. well. I, I mean, know because I, I can dance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, so you kind of have to do some of that walking around. When I can ballroom dancing. dance. I know. I've seen you do it. So I'm yeah, shocked. Let's let's uh, let's uh, maybe like you said, take a close up of that. I'll, I'll J Lo ju- and what I'll do is I'll just change that photo at my earliest opportunity. And I, I, rest assured, I don't remember the details of the conversation or even who we were talking to. Jennifer Robeck Morse. Okay, Jennifer Robeck Morse. I am certain that she roundly criticized the halftime performance there at the Super Bowl and made it quite clear that such things were not the empowerment of women and were, in fact, kind of the degradation of women. I'm amazed at how many people of a millennial generation, I was watching kind of the online response to this even people who are culturally conservative thought had just kind of a you go girl attitude toward that toward that halftime not cultural show. conservatives yeah N- name one yeah i can't name them yeah, i don't want to name yeah, them. i don't yeah, want to out them yeah no i i, I can't I, i'm not talking about famous people yeah. i'm talking about the average person that's on twitter who are culturally conservative women who looked at that and said that's that you go girl that's girl power for you right there which kind of mystifies me the, while you're working on that photo after the show, remind me to send you the tags lines for the last three emails okay. and comment lines, please. Let's see. The next email comes from, it's two pages, Pete. Pete writes, I just listened to your response in episode 0504 at one minute and 35 seconds to listener Justin's email expressing his short supply of patience with those conservatives such as Andrew Walker, whose primary concern these days is making sure we all know just how begrudgingly it is that they support President Trump. Presumably, Andrew's fear is that the general population might take him for one of the knuckle-dragging bigots who voted for Trump unreservedly in 2016. I agree wholeheartedly with Justin that listening to the self-righteousness from this crowd has always been tiresome. If it was conscience that prevented a person from voting for Trump in 2016, that same conscience should prevent the person from voting for Trump in 2020. He's still a vulgar, disrespectful, money-loving adulterer and a poor role model for our nation's youth. If a person says they'll begrudgingly vote for Trump in 2020, now that they've seen his track record, they're acknowledging what those of us who voted for Trump in 2016 have asserted all along, that the importance of having a president in office who will champion conservative causes rather than liberal causes overshadows the moral failings of Donald Trump, especially considering the precarious position our nation is in. This was the conclusion that most Trump voters came to in 2016. So I'd like to welcome Andrew to the club. There was every reason to believe that President Trump would champion conservative causes in 2016, in any case, much more so than Hillary Clinton would. The argument that Trump's track record over his first four years makes all the difference doesn't hold water with me. I have some animosity towards the conservative, conscientious objectors of 2016. Their self-gratifying decision to abstain from voting in 2016 very nearly cost a series of tremendous blows to the fabric of our nation, blows that we may yet suffer. What I would like to hear from reluctant Trump supporters is self-reflective silence as they contemplate how their moral righteousness nearly cleared the way for real harm to descend upon our country in the form of unconstrained liberalism. Thanks for the feedback, Pete. Well, I don't think that's a really good way to argue people over your cause is, you know, you were wrong last time. Shut up. That's really not going to convince a lot of people to to cross the line. Do you think? I mean, just telling people you were wrong. I was right. I knew that it was going to turn out this way. You didn't believe it. Now be quiet. 
I just don't think that's going to convince many people. I see this. I don't. I can't explain it. But the the urge to say "I told you so" among people who were on the Trump train early is it seems to overcome their desire to convince people to support him who didn't support him before. They seem to have more animosity towards people who either through conscience or caution or whatever it was, couldn't support him the first time around more animosity towards them than they do toward the kind of dangerous liberalism that they, they claimed they were trying to save us all from. So look, uh, everybody makes mistakes and politics is one mistake after another, isn't it? So you can tell us, I told you so, you were wrong, now be quiet. You can tell us that. I don't think you're going to convince many people that way. I think Andrew Walker is simply trying to give an honest assessment of why he's changed his mind. Now, you're right. Trump is the same kind of very, very flawed character that he has always been. I don't think that is going to change anytime soon. After all, he's been president. It's worked for him in strange ways. It got him elected in strange ways. It's been politically advantageous to him in kind of a Machiavellian way. So I don't think he's going to change that. But some of us were not as convinced that he would be the strong advocate for life. There was no track record. There were, in fact, the track record was the opposite. There was no track record. There was a lot of promises. But you know, as well as I do, politicians make promises. We did not know that he would be the advocate for life in the details like he has been in the judiciary, which is setting the course of our country at least in the courts, for the next generation. We had promises, but we didn't know that that was necessarily going to happen. And again, his track record was either spotty or non-existent or even indicators to the opposite at that point. So that's why I think that's why many of us were hesitant. And I am more than willing to be told, I told you so. But I think you do have to allow voters to be cautious, especially in dealing with politicians, and not to believe everything they're told, and to get a second chance to change their mind. Hey, good morning, uh, Todd, Jeff, and Lynn. Thank you so much for taking this call. My name is Alfredo. I'm calling all the way from Frankfurt. I went to the conference for the first time in my life last year. I really enjoyed myself, and I tell my friends that it, it was used by the Lord to make me become a, a Lutheran. So thank you so much for that. My question was in relation to the invitation that you guys extended to Albert Moeller to be part of the roster. As a former Reformed Baptist and Calvinist, I was not very happy with that, although I understand, I think, the sentiment behind that in the, in the sense that you, you know, as Lutherans, we're always accused of being insular and not really communicating with other uh, traditions, Christian traditions. And so I think I understand the, the thing behind it, although I still uh, believe that, I, I think it's still dangerous and, and it doesn't really make sense in the sense that Albert Moeller, I believe, is part of the tradition. The uh, He's not a two-kingdom person like Lutherans are. And uh, if you listen to his uh, talks and stuff like that, he believes in, kind of believes in, you know, Christianizing America, the, 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 the Christian American culture and things like this. So theologically, he's coming from a, a distinct point. But again, I still understand that. But my question was more in relation to, so I, I just wanted to know where is this, is the train going to stop as far as, inviting people that like for example james white like uh, it came to my knowledge that he has been to, to the show uh, many times before and i was honestly i was shocked of that if you are aware of what's going on with james white in the last uh, weeks he insulted uh, pretty much us, us lutherans conservatives lutherans and he mixed it up and he put us in the same category 
as liberals. He came out and he insulted a rapper that just became a Lutheran. His name is Flame. Uh, and he has some very nasty things to say. So I guess my question is, how far are you, et cetera, going to go as far as inviting people that perhaps don't care about our culture, care about our tradition, uh, don't really try to engage with us and things like this? I thought it was disrespectful. I think it was uh, disappointing. And uh, frankly, I don't, I don't think it's, it's, a, it's the right way to go. So I, just, I was just curious, and if you can address uh, my question and in private or by email, I'll, I'll be very happy with that. My name is Alfredo. Thank you so much for taking my call. See you later. Bye-bye. Alfredo, thank you very much. Thanks for coming to the conference and for expressing your concern there. I want to deal with James White first. Uh, James White has been a guest on the program. He has not been a guest on the program. Well, Jeff would be able to tell better than I. It's been a long, long time. But when we used to have him on, what were the subjects we used to kind of bring White on for? Well, first of all, he hasn't been banned. No. Okay, so no, I don't give you the indication he's been no, banned. I don't no. care if he's come on in 10 years. Right, right. He's not under, under I'm just saying he hasn't been on the show yeah, recently. Trinity, he's written a book on homosexuality, you know, making the case yeah, for Yeah, subjects where marriage. we can find a, agreement with him. And- uh, oneness, Pentecostalism, he's great on that. Those are just some of the ones off the, oh, King James only. King James only, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. yeah, so he's dealt with some of those kind of inter-evangelical conflicts that Lutherans sometimes just don't even know what's going on, and he's, he's an expert on some of those things. And, you know, what he may have said of late about Lutherans, I'm willing to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt on that because what, what many people outside of Lutheranism know of Lutheranism is precisely liberal apostate Lutheranism. That's all they know. I think James knows better than that. But, look, I have said things about Calvinism. And we still managed to get Calvinists on the program. I've publicly said things about Calvinism, very critical things, and other and Roman Catholicism, you name it. We still have Calvinists and Roman Catholics on the program. We, we have conversations where we can agree, where we can agree with them and where they, they offer some expertise that we simply just can't find in the Lutheran pale. Now, as to Albert Moeller, he, I can assure you, he bears no hostility toward confessional Lutheranism. Uh, he's actually been a longtime friend of this show, very very friendly basis with him. Uh, I ran into him on the streets of Wittenberg and he was kind enough out of the middle of his vacation to come and be on the show when we're broadcasting there. But he did it because he has a great respect for Lutheranism. Does he agree with Lutheranism theologically? No, he would be the first one to tell you. And we're going to have him address the, the issue. What are we going to have him address at the conference? The issue of the case against secularism. So he's going to be dealing with something that he... Who daily battles more intimately with secularism, at least in the media, than a guy like Albert Moeller? So he's bringing his expertise there. We're not going to have him speak on the Lord's Supper or baptismal regeneration or any of those kinds of things. We're having him speak on an issue where he's an expert, perhaps a premier expert, and where we can agree with his assessment and his solutions as well. When we come back from this break, a little more listener email, the issues, etc. comment line. 618-223-8382 618-223-8382 or talk back at issues etc.org I don't care how much money I gotta spend got to get back to my baby again the only days are gone I'm going home my baby just wrote me a letter built on the rock Children of the Heavenly Father, on my heart imprint your image. Rejoice, rejoice, believers, and so much more. 
Hi, this is Pastor Will Whedon inviting you to join us for our hymn sing at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. This year's theme, Northern Lights, Danish and Scandinavian hymns. Making the Case is Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th at Concordia University, Chicago. Find out more and register at issuesetc.org. LCMS Rural and Small Town Mission exists to support and encourage congregations in rural and small town settings. In partnership with LCMS districts, RSTM is uniquely positioned to make a major impact in revitalization support, community engagement and outreach training, congregational partnership development, and worker support through providing and developing resources geared specifically to rural and small town congregations. Check us out at lcms.org front slash RSTM or give us a call at our office. We're here to help. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, teaches St. Paul. But what about those who cannot hear? Can they be saved? The February issue of the Lutheran Witness illuminates this topic and others, including hearing the gospel while singing the faith, how to listen to sermons, and proclaiming the gospel in foreign lands. Come, learn how the church confesses the word in words. Visit cph.org slash witness to subscribe today. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org slash witness. There are nearly 20 million college students in the United States. 40% will stop going to church during college. 50% will never return. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is seeking to meet this challenge through LCMSU. Why? Because 100% of college students matter to God and to His church. College is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. LCMSU. Check us out at lcms.org slash lcmsu. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. The contact at lutheranpublicradio.org email address has been very active this week. Here's why. Michael writes, I enjoy listening to LPR sacred music on my laptop when I'm in the church office. It's perfect background as I go about my morning tasks. For the past few days, however, I hit the play button and it's done buffering. I hear no sound with it, though it shows it is playing. I check the sound settings on my laptop, and it's working fine for other sound-slash-music-related programs. Has anyone else notified you of this problem? Any comments or suggestions would be greatly appreciated. I miss the sacred music. Thank you, and God's blessings. Thank you, Pastor Michael, for listening to Lutheran Public Radio. We are still here. We are still broadcasting. I think this is an issue with the Google Chrome browser. This is what we believe has happened. We contacted both our higher pay grade web people and our streaming service, and together they've struck upon a solution that it has to do with the security certificate for for that, and that uh, because Google uh, last year really cracked down on websites and other web entities having these, their browser is pretty intolerant if it doesn't have one. So that solution is working. I, I would suggest that you either listen on the app the LPR mobile app, or that you, for the time being, listen using a different browser. And it appears to only affect PCs using Google Chrome. So I don't understand why that is. Maybe someone 
with more knowledge of the technology can explain that. We, we do think between our web guys and our streaming service that we have found the solution and it's underway. Michael resides in Vandalia, Illinois. He writes, thank you for your recent interview with Brian Westbrook of Coalition for Life on Sidewalk Abortion Counseling. What a great opportunity to learn about the efforts to speak out for children in the womb whose voices are not permitted to be heard in our society. One pebble in my shoe, as I've heard Greg Kokel put it, that remained after the interview was the check in here vest. I'm having some Eighth Commandment qualms with this. While we certainly are to be pragmatic, innocent as doves, but wise as serpents, as our Lord says, we are not pragmatists where the end justifies the means. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around bearing the false witness of appearing to be affiliated with the abortion facility in order to initiate a conversation about the truth of where to get aid and support in raising children and establishing a home. Everything else described about the St. Louis method sounds great. Love, care, prayer, and truth about the humanity of this child in the womb. But this deceptive start to a conversation about truth appears rather self-contradictory and contrary to the command of our Lord. Can you help me wrap my brain around this and get rid of this pebble in my shoe? Thanks for the email, Michael. Well, first of all, Jeff, did you notice how Michael approaches this issue? You got to admire a person who expresses this concern. It's a genuine concern about something that's that we were talking about on the air. And, and he simply begins by saying, look, I, this is... I think that what they're doing in sidewalk counseling is fantastic. He begins with the positive. You always tell me to do that. Begin with the positive. So uh, thank you very much, Michael. I had similar concerns, but then I actually started looking around and seeing how how the people who are doing the sidewalk counseling are, ide- are identifying themselves. First of all, they're not inside the gates of the facility. The one here in Fairview Heights actually does have gates around it. They're not inside the gates. They're outside. They're actually kind of on the street in the driveway, so to speak, the street access to the the abortion facilities. They are wearing what you would call like roadside construction vests of various different colors. Now, they're doing that for several reasons. They're doing it because they're out in traffic sometimes, but they're also doing it to identify themselves. And I think actually to set themselves apart from people who work for the, at the facilities. And on the back of these vests, they actually have the words, life choice, mentoring a new generation. I think they're trying to send the message, you know, we're not abortion facility employees. Check in here first is their way of saying, before you go in there, please talk to us. And I don't think it's on their vests. I think it's actually a sign that they may be holding check in here first. Now, do some people think that they might be checking in with the abortion facility? That impression might be given, but I think they have done due diligence in how the vests are, the stuff that's on the front and the back of the vest, to say we're not posing as employees of the abortion facility. So I think you can sleep a little easier on that one. And really their method, that St. Louis method that they were talking about, had more to do with we're going to get rid of all the kind of pro-life signage and we're just going to concentrate. This is what he told me on the air. We're going to concentrate on the person in that car. Rather than sending a message, we're going to try and deliver the message to particular people. That's the heart of the St. Louis Method. Daniel listens in Sweden. He says, I much appreciate everything you do. If you would like more participants from far away, I think that it might be an idea to extend the conference a few days, like a Bible study conference right before the apologetic conference. Setting the conference close to an international airport like Chicago is very helpful. Thank you for sharing gospel-focused Lutheran education for many pastors and lay people. Thank you for listening in Sweden, Daniel. You know, I think that would attract more people from farther away because they're thinking, why do I want to spend more time traveling than actually at the conference if you're coming from that 
far away. Logistically, that would be somewhat more difficult for us. It's something we can always consider as part of expansion. But I think it's a great idea if you're trying to attract people from farther away than the conference. Well, good morning. This is Bob from Canada. I'm an on-demand listener, and I really enjoy your show. I really enjoyed the interview you had recently with uh, Katie Faust on uh, polygamy and and the marriage uh, discussion. I'd be interested in knowing if you would have an interview with someone there on how that affected the the ancients, the the, the people of the Bible and, and those, they had polygamous marriages too, and and how that played out in their families, and maybe we can see it in the Bible, maybe we can't. But I'd be interested in knowing a little bit more about that. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. That's an excellent question. We are actually going to be talking about polygamy in the Old Testament tomorrow on the program with Dr. Christopher Mitchell, who has written extensively about it in one of his in his commentary on the Song of Songs. He talks about what marriage was in the Old Testament, marriage ceremonies, and then about the place of polygamy. And the short answer is, uh, yes, we can read in the narrative, of particular, in particular the patriarchs, the kind of mischief that polygamous marriage worked in their lives. It never turned out good. Now, God always kept his promise and continued his promise even through the patriarch's polygamy, but it it is never spoken favorably of. Although it is never explicitly forbidden, Jesus himself seems to think that marriage is a man and a woman. God created them male and female. So we will actually have all that conversation tomorrow on issues, etc. And we talk with Dr. Christopher Mitchell about polygamy. We'll also do This Week in Pop Christianity with Pastor Chris Rosebro. We'll discuss casting out demons from Christians. And we'll play issues, etc. Soundbite of the week. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Hey, Todd, what have our listeners noticed first when visiting the LPR studios? Definitely the small size and the dirt. Well, not anymore. Thanks to our friends at the Cleaning Authority. They've turned this man cave into a space that meets even our wives' approval. Whether it's our office or your home, the Cleaning Authority is your cleaning service provider in the St. Louis area. To schedule a free estimate or to find out more, visit thecleaningauthority.com, thecleaningauthority.com. St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wildwood, Missouri is a proud sponsor of Issues Etc. And if you enjoy the relevant Christ-centered teachings presented on this program, then you should come and join us at St. Paul's on Sundays at 9 a.m., where you will hear sermons that proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins, and enjoy in-depth Bible studies to help us grow as disciples. For more information, check us out at stpaullutheranwildwood.org.